We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold. 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name, as always, is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight is my partner in crime, my co-host, Eric Crocker. Uh, how you doing, bud? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How uh, Now, before we get uh, too far into other things, obviously right now we're coming to you. For, uh, we're recording on a Wednesday. So we're only a few days removed from the 49ers' third win of the season. They're 3-0. and uh, They beat. They, I would say they survived the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in their home opener at Levi's Stadium. Uh, we'll get way more into the intricacies of the game and kind of our takeaways. But uh, Crocker was actually 
in the stands among the faithful for the game, I had a little bit different view. I was, I was in the press box. So I, I was kind of watching the game from one side up high. Crocker was watching the game from another side up high, but what, what did you see, man? What I leave now, those press boxes are pretty sealed tight because they don't want the noise to kind of affect our ability to like, you know, do our thing. Um, but Levi stadium sounded loud, man. What'd you, what'd you see out there? Yeah, I thought it was a great environment. Um, the, the crowd seemed to be into it from where I was at least. Um, you know, that that was probably the most packed that I've seen Levi Stadium. It, it was pretty – I think we had a pretty nice crowd last year, Monday Night Football against the New York Giants. But outside of that, man, um, yeah, I, I, out of the other games I've been to, that that by far had the best, you know, atmosphere. Yeah, it sounded, it sounded legit. And I took a video um, right before the final snap for Pittsburgh. It was like, I don't know, fourth and 12 or something like that. And they ended up not throwing it away, but throwing it kind of into coverage. And I think Tart just kind of batted it down or let it fall down. And that crowd was going crazy. It, it, it seemed like they were into it. You know, Levi's has kind of taken it in the chin a lot about, about the home field advantage and the crowd that shows out and whether or not they can actually be loud and not or not. But I've noticed as the years have gone on that the crowd, has just become a bit more uh, home friendly and creating a bit more of a home field advantage because they were loud. And what was funny was the, the the 49ers fans would would get loud when the team was on defense and they'd start getting amped up. And you could tell the Pittsburgh stands, the Pittsburgh fans, which there were quite a few of them who had their terrible towels out there, were also just trying to show up. And they were just like standing up and screaming and waving their towels. It was just funny because I'm like, you realize you're actually helping the 49ers right now by standing up and, and screaming and getting into it. But <laughs> it, they, it was like they had to do something. They couldn't just sit there. They had their towels. They had to wave them. It was just funny to watch from from my seat just to kind of see the interaction of fans. But But back to the game, the 49ers won it. It was ugly. Super ugly, but it was ugly in a way where there's a lot of positive takeaways that you can you can glean from it because the biggest thing that the 49ers did is they turned the ball over five times, five times, one, two, three, four, five, um, four times in the first half. But the big takeaway that you could go from that is obviously they got some ball security issues to work on, but it's not like the 49ers have shown a tendency to turn the ball over a ton um, in the last couple seasons, but it you can they gave away the ball four times in the first half and the Pittsburgh Steelers led by Mason Rudolph who was making his first start of the year filling in for Ben Roethlisberger they were only way only able to get away with six points after four turnovers so you know and I know you're you're definitely a defensive oriented guy Croc former DB and all but I mean that's gotta say something about a defense's not only ability but like resilience don't you think yeah well the whole time I, I thought that it was gonna affect um just the defense and the 49ers defense and and you know over and over having to be on the field and but it, it seemed like it didn't you know it seemed like they, they, they weren't phased and uh they played extremely well and they they never you know, it's, it's easy to kind of start pointing fingers and getting down on the offense when things aren't going well. But they hung in there. They do have good leaders, you know, especially with, you know, Richard Sherman back there who's been through it all. And I loved what he said post game about how, you know, some wins are going to be ugly. And I, I think the 49ers defense, they were definitely up to the challenge. And you're going to need that. You're going to need the defense to pick up the offense sometimes. And I thought they did a good job of that um, uh, Sunday. You know, on the topic of Richard Sherman, like every time that guy 
talks at a press conference, I'm like more and more impressed. Like the guy is just a leader through and through in every way, shape or form. Obviously he's still playing well. Uh, You know, he's still shutting down his side of the field, but he just like his personality and the way he, and whether it's win or lose, he's always coming up to the podium for press conferences, kind of taking ownership of his side of the ball and kind of his part of the team and, and taking ownership of the team in general. And the guy is just such a good leader and he's so smart and articulate in the way he kind of answers questions. Uh, you know, I just, the, the first couple minutes of him talking, I know he was very complimentary of the Levi stadium crowd and kind of how they came out. Um, Cause he was calling for the, for the crowd before the game and say, Hey, show up, help us out. It makes right. a difference, you know, and, and he was doing that. And, he just talked about the fact that the team had five, you know, his, his word for it was resilience. You know, he knew the team turned the ball over five times, but it didn't matter. Like it doesn't matter that that happens. You're going to come out and you're going to, you know, play with the same intensity after another turnover as you would after a touchdown type of deal. So it was just, it's, I can't go through and, and quote, I don't have a transcript in front of me. I can't quote the guy per se, but it's just impressive how much a guy, especially a guy who 49ers fans have grown to hate over the years, can step in and just have such a drastic impact on a locker room and on a team. And and you would probably be able to speak on this better than I can as far as what that does for a locker room. But the dude is just, you can tell he's always in the same mindset, like win or loss, whatever's on the scoreboard or whatever. You can tell it's just one of those guys that's steady and provides kind of like a, a calming personality for the team. It's it's I've just been nothing but impressed with Richard Sherman. It's It's just been crazy to watch. Yeah, well, you know, when you have somebody, you know, in the locker room that's been through it all, he's done it all, you know, I, I think it kind of, you know, it's ineffective and it rubs off on the rest of the people, especially when you start seeing the results and, and the things that he was talking about. Last year was really tough. A lot of guys in and out of the lineup. He was banged up. He wasn't quite himself. But now it seems like they're, you know, they're clicking on all cylinders early on. Um, you know, it's still early, but uh, you would like to see them continue this momentum. And I think uh, Rich Sherman, he's a really big part of it. Right, and, and sticking on the theme of cornerbacks, one of the biggest uh, repercussions from the 49ers game against the Steelers is they lost to Kella Witherspoon, um, who suffered a foot sprain in the second half, and he left the game, and he is not expected to return for a, at least a month, Kyle Shanahan said. He's not expected to get back in the lineup or get back to practice for at least a month. So, you know, that if you're including that time frame in the bye week, then he's going to miss at least three games. You're probably safe to say that he might miss four or five. And if we were telling you this last year, you fans would probably have a lot different reaction because Akella Witherspoon's trajectory throughout his career has been very up and down. He's shown he's had moments of, of elite cornerback play and he's had moments that, you know, he probably just wished it would, would, would go away. He's been benched before. So it, you know, he's, he's had a really up and down couple, couple years, former third round pick, but this year he was playing just as good, if not better than Richard Sherman. Now, those are there's a lot of circumstances that go into that, but he was playing really well. Um, he had a pick six in week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that put the game away. He's had half a dozen pass breakups just in a matter of like three games. There, you know, there's really only been a couple of plays where he's uh, had a receiver get the better of him. One of them was Sunday 
against the Steelers, and it was still a close play. He was right there with Juju Smith-Schuster over the middle. Um, Juju caught the ball and was able to kind of just create enough space to where Witherspoon was, wasn't able to dive and make the tackle. And then the, uh, Juju made Tarverius Moore, who took a horrible angle, made him miss, took it down the left sideline and scored. But long story short, Witherspoon has been playing really, really well. And I believe he is – a big reason why the defense as a whole has been playing so well. Because if you remember last year when Witherspoon was in with Sherman, Sherman wasn't getting targeted, but Witherspoon was more than he could handle. And he was giving up a lot uh, before his, his injury. So, and this year that's just not happening. They've been, they've been going his way, but he's been shutting it down. He's been playing well and losing him. You know, it's just amazing how things change year to year in the NFL. Uh, Losing him is a big deal. And now they're kind of left with a competition between Jason Brett and Emmanuel Mosley, who uh, Mosley Mosley. I always the way he, he the way it's written always always gets to me. Um, <laughs> I think I think so too. That sounds way more normal. Um, but the way it's written, there's an extra e in there that I always like when I go to write it. I like have to say it like that so I know I spell it right. Um, now you have those two guys who are going to compete for the starting spot in replacement of Witherspoon. So. Defensive backs were always going to defer to Crocker. So just tell me what you're thinking here, man. What are, what are you thinking about Witherspoon and, and what who's coming up in front of him? It is a tough blow. You know, uh, Witherspoon has been playing at a high level um, consistently for the last three games. He did give up the one touchdown to Juju, which, you know, you know, watching the play, it was extremely tight coverage. He went for the ball, um, you know, just barely missed it. And in the process, Juju was able to break free and, you know, we saw Tarverius Moore take a poor angle and it resulted in the touchdown. But um, aside from that, man, I, I thought uh, Witherspoon, you know, he, he was playing the best football that he's played, you know, really good stretch of football. And as soon as we lost him, we saw what happened. They went they went straight at Verrett, where they just knew, okay, this guy's coming off of a, an Achilles injury. Let's test it out. Uh, whatever the case was, they tried them back-to-back plays. They were successful both times, one being a pass interference call, the other being a touchdown, and the 49ers immediately went to a Mos- Emmanuel Mosley. Now, Mosley is a guy who I- I've liked, obviously. Um, I expected big things out of him this year. You know, I'm a real big believer in in uh, uh, development. And a lot of guys, you know, you see a lot of fans, you see a lot of guys that all talk about development, and um, but then turn around and want guys to play right away and just be this top-notch guy right away, right? Well, I think Mosley is a, a, a perfect example of why, you know, sometimes you should be a little bit, be, a little bit more patient with certain guys. Um, practice squad guy last year was elevated to the uh, active roster against the Raiders, but went down with an injury, season-ending injury. And this going into this offseason, I said, you know, that was a guy who I expected to be elevated and make the initial 53-man roster. People told me, oh, you're crazy. Who's going to make it over? And I said, man, he's going to make it over Harris, the guy from Virginia. I, I didn't really care for what I saw from him on film. And sure enough, you know, Emmanuel Mosley was a really bright spot uh, throughout training camp. And, you know, he's very versatile. He can play inside, he can play outside. But, um, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to just replace Witherspoon and be perfect, but I, I, I he is somebody who I, I believe in. I think that he can play well and at least fill a role until where this one comes back. Right. And, and, and everything I've seen from 
from Emmanuel Mosley has looked good. He's he was one of the stronger cornerbacks throughout training camp, and it was it was rare to see him in a position where uh, he was being beat. He was always competing for the ball, whether it was one on ones, sevens, or elevens. So I he think I think he's a guy that they can rely on a bit more than I think a lot of people are going to give him credit for. I think just because they see undrafted free agent, they see practice squad last year, they see, you know, that's that's kind of what the, the outward persona is. But I think he's got a quite a bit more ability uh, than a lot of people are giving him credit for. And I think that, you know, this is a huge opportunity for him. And to kind of go back and touch on what Croc said, the first corner off the off the bench when Witherspoon went down was was Jason Brett. And Jason Brett obviously when healthy has been, you know, his is is I think it was really only one full season where he was where he was healthy, but it was he put some of the, the most impressive stuff on tape I've ever seen a corner do, especially that game against Antonio Brown. But um, he stepped out there and that was the first time he'd been he even tweet, he tweeted, this is what he tweeted right here. He said, Been three years since I've been on that field, dog. They came at me quick. All good. I made it through the store and I'm gonna shake back. Now you know and and just to defend the guy, like it's been three years since he was on the field. And they literally, the first play that he stepped on, they went right at him. And he was, he was beat by James Washington. And I don't know for sure if their feet got tangled up or if he just straight up dove forward and tripped the guy because he knew he was beat. But that was the first play. He got that flag. It was about a 30, 30 yard flag. I think somewhere around there, uh, maybe a little less. And then the next play, it was a rookie. I think it's Deontay Thompson. I think is his name, um, beat him straight down. I didn't see how he beat him, but he beat him straight down the left sideline. It was an easy touchdown for uh, for Mason Rudolph. And and those were really the only plays that Jason Brett was in the game. And uh, the 49ers immediately switched him out with Emmanuel Mosley. And and it it was just, you know, it's that's all we got to see of him. And he, obviously he was on a short leash. They were they were keeping him, uh, uh, you know, they, they were you could tell they were just kind of waiting to see what they were going to see. And um, they didn't really like it. And I don't necessarily count Brett out of the competition Uh, before his ankle injury during training camp. He was making plays and he looked good. Um, He certainly didn't look how those few plays betrayed him that, you know, if if I'm going to put it one way. So it'll be interesting to see if he can make a run at the job, obviously an incredibly talented corner. He's just had to overcome a slew of injuries more injuries than, than anybody in any line of work should ever have to endure, but that's just been his career. So uh, that's probably the one main, you know, I mean, the biggest downfall of that game was just losing Witherspoon. Obviously the 49ers are, are without Staley and uh, rookie uh, six rounder, Justin school made his first start and by all accounts was pretty good. You know, I think Shanahan said after the game that, well, I didn't really, need to talk about him on the sidelines. So he must've done a good job, you know, which is, is really, that's, that's kind of the expression toward offensive linemen. Like if they're not mentioning your name, then you're doing a good job because it's usually they're only mentioning it because you got beat. So, you know, that was an interesting thing to see, but before we get too far off the top topic of defensive backs, um, one of the things I saw rampantly on my Twitter and my mentions was when Witherspoon went down and I tweeted about the Shanahan said he was going to be gone at least one month. Uh, the vast majority of the comments were, okay, time to go get Jalen Ramsey. Let's go. This is it. It's all been set up for us. All they got to do is make the trade. Let's go. And I know, uh, Krog, you're a big, you're a big proponent of, of trading for him and, and getting him on the team, getting him on the squad. So, uh, just, you don't have to do it for a long time because you kind of touched on it on our last pod. But what are your what's your brief summary of Jalen Ramsey and, and why would yeah, you have him? I, I, you know, I just think anytime you have an opportunity to acquire elite talent, 
it, it should be something that you seriously consider. Um, a lot of people, their biggest thing is they don't want to give up draft capital. Um, in my opinion, uh, I'd rather give up draft capital for an elite talented player than sit on draft capital and hope that whoever I draft, you know, hopefully for the 49ers at the end of a draft is someone that turns out to be of a talent like Ramsey. Now, the other thing I hear a lot of people say, touch on is that, hey, the 49ers have to sign this guy, this guy, and this guy, right? Well, I've seen several teams now um, who are up against the cap make a way to sign all the guys that they want to sign. And, you know, very rarely do I see them have to get rid of certain guys. I mean, look at the Cowboys now, right? Um, they have a bunch of elite, talented players. Jalen Ramsey, one of the best – I mean, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Smith, one of the best linebackers in the NFL. They just locked up Demarcus Lawrence, one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. They just locked up Ezekiel Elliott, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Um, and They're about to lock up what? Dak. They're about and to lock up Dak yeah, Prescott. Lock up like, that's going to happen. Soon, especially yeah, with how he's playing right now. Yeah, they're right. They're, they're going to sure. lock up Dak and they're going to lock up Amari Cooper. So – um, I, I just feel like there's always a way. You know, they, they've been signing all their linemen. They probably have the highest paid offensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, you just have to figure it out. There, there is a way you can move some things around, some guarantees and all this, that, and the other. That's for uh, Parag Marate to figure out. But all, all I know is these teams, they figure out a way and they make it work and they get their guys. And, yeah, if you have an opportunity to just, just for what Ramsey is, I don't think people just quite understand the impact that a guy like him, a cornerback who can follow teams posing best receivers and, you know, what impact that has on an entire game, what impact that has on an entire game plan from uh, a defense coordinator's perspective and the opposing offense perspective. I mean, his his impact is worth every penny. Um, whatever you trade for him and then whatever you have to pay him, it, it's really worth it because of the impact that he has on a play-to-play basis, game-to-game places. And, and he elevates your team. Uh, from, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're solid, we're a good team, to, damn, we have a championship defense now. And we saw that with the Bears, right? I mean, the Bears' quarterback situation situation is very poor. But even then, regardless of that, acquiring Khalil, Khalil Mack made them a Super Bowl contender. I mean, how many people before last year said, oh, yeah, got to watch out for those Bears. They're going to be a Super Bowl caliber team. Uh, yeah, they're just one player away. No, they weren't one player away. But they they acquired one player that made them definitely a possibility. It just had a huge impact on that defense, and I think Jalen Ramsey would have that same type of, type of impact on the 49ers with the talent the 49ers already have, and then what, with what he brings. All right. So before we carry on, uh, we got some words from our, our sponsor here. Um, a few of us in the show use Harry's razors. If you visit the website, you can check out all different shave sets and face care products. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com backslash blue wire. Why try Harry's? Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. We've all we've all done it. We've all been in the in the grocery store or the supermarket or the Walmart or where have you and been staring at the vast selection of razors and they're all way overpriced. Uh, Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 a blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip. 
five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great, and travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of my show, Striking Gold on the Blue Wire Network, can redeem their trial set at harrys.com backslash blue wire. Make sure you go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you Rob from Striking Gold to help support the show. Now, the, the thing I've already told Croc before we fired up the podcast was I'm going to play a little devil's advocate when it comes to trading for Jalen Ramsey. And and I, I made it perfectly clear to him that if news broke right now while we're recording that the 49ers traded for Jalen Ramsey, uh, I'd be pretty excited for the team because there's obviously there's there's no substitution for having one of the league's best at any given position. They're just going to – it doesn't really matter what position it is. You could, you could even be a guard. You know, anytime you have one of the league's best at any position, they're going to impact the game. You know, and, and there's just like Croc said, there's really no substitution for just acquiring um, elite talent. Now, right now, and I don't think that they're going to get this. Right now, the Jaguars' apparent asking price for Jalen Ramsey is two first-round picks, which the 49ers, in the way they're trending right now, that might be in the back half of the first round. Okay, you know, and let's just say the 49ers do give up first-round picks. Now, the, the simple way to look at that and whether or not a player is worth it is – you know, let's just look at the 49ers' last two picks. Uh, Nick Bosa has been wildly impressive over the first three games. And um, last year was was Mike McGlinchey, who's been a pretty solid right tackle. So, Croc, would you trade right now? Would you trade Nick Bosa and Mike McGlinchey for Jalen well, Ramsey? N- no, because that, that would be uh, assuming that the 49ers were picking at number two and number, you know, nine. Right, right, right. right. Now, so let's just assume that, that you know, maybe you get a guy like Brian Burns or something yeah. like that. That's a little further down, but he's having just yeah. as good a season. I, I would so. assume. Let's look at you can go for late though. round draft picks, right? Would you, would you trade uh, Jalen Ramsey for uh, uh, what's his name, Jonathan uh, Joshua Garnett? and Jimmy Ward, like something like that. Guys that were taken at the end of the first round. Right. And that, and it becomes a lot more, you know, digestible that way. You know, you're also assuming that, the, and, 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 you know, what's, what's interesting in this goes to Croc's point is uh, NFL GMs are considered successful if they can hit on like 30 to 40% of their picks, which to your average fan, when they list the draft class and they're like, oh, there's only like three or four guys left of this draft class on the team, they don't realize that that's like the GM doing his right. job. It's such a crapshoot that it's just difficult. And so, you know, you have to assume that even if though, even though they are first-round picks, that doesn't mean you're going to hit on the player. And like Croc said, the 49ers seem like they've hit on their last two picks um, because you have a higher chance of hitting on them in the, in, in the beginning, you know, where, where you have things that are like surefire talents. But, you know, like Jimmy Ward and Josh Garnett, both of those guys are, you know, pretty much, you know – not you trade him for Jalen Ramsey. I'll just <laughs> right. say that. So, and then the other thing is, is 
you know, the 49ers have 20 million in salary cap space right now. And, and like Croc said, we all watched like a few years ago when the Denver Broncos did it, they like signed everybody. And then the, the Los Angeles Rams did it. They signed everybody and somehow they were okay. You know, I'm not a salary cap guy, but I mean, I know if you've got 20 million on the books and I can click this button, let's see what it becomes next year. Next year goes up a little bit, 27. Um, I'm not, I, I, you know, I don't have it all right in front of me as far as who they're losing. But there are ways to create money where signing somebody like Jalen Ramsey to, let's say, $20 million a year, because he's going to want to be paid like the best cornerback in the NFL. That's just how it works. Whether or not he is or he isn't, that's just what he's going to get paid, and then the next best corner will do the same, and it'll just keep going, just like how you've seen from the quarterbacks. So, and, you know, one way you have to look at this, too, is I would say Richard Sherman – sticks with the team for one more year unless something happens this season or during the off season that kind of makes him want to, you know, he's, he's signed through one more year and he's due $10 million. Only 9 million of that is, or excuse me, only a million of that is guaranteed. Um, but let's just say he sticks with the team for one more year, but you're really looking at one year where the, in this realm, in this reality where Jalen Ramsey's contract would exist with somebody like Richard Sherman's. And then all of a sudden $10 million come off the books. So then absorbing the impact of Ramsey's contract becomes a lot less. Um, you know, you also have somebody like Jarek McKinnon, who uh, in next next year is due, got it right here, $8.5 million. Do you really think the 49ers are going to have him on the right. roster for that Hell amount of money? Absolutely not. They might keep him on the roster. They might restructure. I would like to see them do that considering how, uh, you know, excited Shanahan was to get him on the roster, but he's not going to be on the roster for that amount of money. Now they're also on the flip side. They're also going to have to sign guys like DeForest Buckner or George Kittle, neither of which should I do. I think the 49ers should even remotely consider letting walk out the door. They're just two guys who have immediately established themselves as like one leaders on the team and two leaders on the football field and, you know, some of the best at their position. So I understand money gets tight. There's a lot of GMs out there who can justify not paying defensive linemen, but you pay somebody like DeForest Buckner. He just is everything. So, so they have to sign those guys and that's going to push them right up against the salary cap. So there's a ton of ways where, you know, the team, the draft capital that the team's going to have to give up to get somebody like Janet Ramsey is also what saves them in the salary cap because you're paying, if you're hitting on those picks and that's a huge if you're paying a much drastically reduced cost for premium players, you know, like what they're paying right now for Nick Bosa is, you know, he, they're paying like, I don't know, six, $7 million a season for a guy who, if he was on a second contract playing exactly how he was right now would be worth 17, 18, 19 million, 20 million. I don't know. You know, so there's all kinds of variables to it, but I think I, I tend to lean towards Crocker's view and that it's kind of, you know, it sounds ignorant of us maybe, but it's like, just sort it out. You have a chance to get a guy, you have a chance to get Jalen Ramsey, just work it out <laughs> later. Right. Like, you know, and that, and that and inevitably, and another thing, you know, you have guys like Solomon Thomas, is, is he going to be on the team in, in two years, a year? Uh, you know, he's due 9 million. There's a lot of room that they can create. You know that, that that would help support something like this. You know, even even D Ford. You know, he's got a huge contract that they might try and play with a little bit, um, just because of injuries and stuff like that. So there's a. I mean, I can talk to myself literally on this and go back and forth. There's obviously so many things to consider, but but ultimately, I I start to lean towards Crocker and the fact that you just when you have a chance to get a player that good, 
you get a player that good and you just work with it. And, and, and pretty much, you know, you just, it's Jalen Ramsey, bro. Like that thread that you created. And if you haven't follow Eric Crocker on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker, he created an entire thread of Jalen Ramsey following DeAndre Hopkins around the field. And for the most part, from a receiver standpoint, won that matchup. And in my opinion, DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver. He in the held NFL. Hopkins to five catches for 40 yards. Um, on right. several more targets. And, I mean, in, in some of those catches, um, it was third down and three, and Hopkins caught the ball for a two-yard gain because Ramsey was just so smothering and, and you know, stopped him short of the first down. So that, that's just the, the impact that he has. I've seen him do it to several receivers, including guys like T.Y. Hilton, where he just um, holds them to just very minimal yards. He, he did the same thing to uh, – um, Tyreek Hill, he slammed Tyreek Hill and knocked him out the game this year. I mean, he, he just, it's just what he brings to a defense, his attitude, he's really like, a, reminds me of a young Richard Sherman, um, you know, an even more talented <laughs> Richard, version of Richard Sherman. Uh, I, I just, just what he brings, man, and you, you just, you acquire the talent, you figure out the rest, and you just have an extremely talented defense, a Super Bowl caliber, caliber defense, if, if that's what the 49ers aspire to be. Well, the interesting thing about, about doing a trade like that too, is you've allowed, yes, you have to pay dearly for it. You know, multiple draft picks. Like I said, I don't think that the deal is going to be two first round picks. I don't think that's going to be what it is. I think that's just their starting point, their higher, high starting point, but you're basically paying both in salary cap and in draft picks for another team to, to, to like surefire scout for you. Like you're paying a premium cost for a player that you already know is good. That you are not even good, like one of the best, you know. And and to me, that is worth a little bit more of a of, of draft capital. Rather, you know, it's just they, they've removed all the guesswork from it, and you know exactly what you're getting. And by all accounts, Jalen Ramsey doesn't come with personality issues. He he's there's really never been anything about his his problems in the locker room. He's just a guy that wants to get paid for being one of the best. So you know. But anyways, I. I I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I feel like me and Crocker could create a podcast or create an episode just titled Jalen Ramsey. And we can just talk about <laughs> right. you know, the, the back and forth of it, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on to some other elements of the team, you know, cause there's, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff, you know, and after the past couple seasons that the 49ers have endured, sometimes it's just, just take some time to talk about the good stuff. Yeah. The 49ers turned the ball five over, turned the ball over five times, but they managed to win and not only win. Uh, it's interesting. If you look at the, like the box score of the game, like Pittsburgh had 11 first downs, San Francisco had 26, um, 49ers converted six of 11 third downs. Pittsburgh was only able to convert on three of 12. Uh, the the uh, 49ers offense generated 436 yards, whereas the Pittsburgh only could gain 239. Um, the where's it at? Right there was another one that I thought was really interesting. Uh, right there, the the 49ers had 73 offensive plays, and Pittsburgh only had 51, despite five turnovers. Right. The 49ers turned the ball five uh, turned the ball over five times and gave the ball to Pittsburgh, and they still outsnapped them on offense. It was just this weird game where it's just one of those rare games. There's no way that you can move forward expecting the 49ers to turn the ball over five times a game, but it was just a resilience. And you know the fact that they still hung around and won the game 
is just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strong testament to the, the way the team is building. And, you know, I coach middle school football and it almost relates in no way to the pros, but one of the hardest things to teach players at this age is resilience. Just, it doesn't matter what's happened or what happened in the last play. It's, it's really what matters is how you go out and treat the next play. And, you know, and that's, kind of what it showed on a different level is the fact that they were turning the ball over five times, but it did not matter. They were coming out and making plays until they turned the ball over again. So it was interesting. Another thing that I wrote about was the penalties went way down. They only had five for 71 yards this time. And a lot of those yards came on uh, Jason Verrett's pass interference call, which is it's that's interesting because they were closer to 10 penalties and over a hundred yards over the last couple of games. So, uh, you know, there's just a ton of good things to take away. The, the first thing I have on my notes um, is the pieces are starting to come together. You know, like obviously with, they lost Witherspoon and he was a big one of those pieces that was working well for them. But, the you know, the defensive front, dude, they're like they were – pitching, you know, pitching chairs and camping out next to <laughs> next to Mason Rudolph for right. most of the game. Like, you know, it was it's just obviously the 49ers were hoping it would work out this way. You know, like they 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 traded a second round pick to get D Ford and then signed him to a big contract. They used the number 2 overall pick to uh draft Nick Bosa, play opposite D Ford. You know, they obviously they're 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 in the the works of re-signing DeForest Buckner and he's playing in the middle. Eric Armstead is playing like a guy who you don't want to let let go. So, I mean, what are you, what are your impressions of that defense, man? Cuz it's there's just so much to talk about and and pretty much all of it is is positive. Yeah, I I mean just I, I, I've been talking about it on the radio, 95.7 The Game. They've called me. They've talked about it with me. But it's when – before the season, everybody had a lot of ifs. If this happens, if that happens, right? There were a ton of ifs surrounding the team. And, you know, specifically with the defense, I think even more so than the offense, right? Um, people have just so many question marks about the defense. If this happens, if this guy stays healthy, if this happens, this – what seems like all the ifs, turned into pluses. And it's like, man, well, we had the questions on if this happened. Well, it, it, it did. It turned out to to be good, a, a positive. Akella Witherspoon, if he can return, well, he did. Um, you know, uh, Jaquissi Tart, if he can stay, well, he has so far. Like, you know, just uh, uh, Nick Bosa, can he play? If he, it, yeah, well, he has. He didn't play any snaps in the preseason, and he's been dominant. Um, you know, his sack numbers will go up. I, I I wholeheartedly uh, uh, believe that. Uh, I think it's a lot like DeForest Buckner, you know, his first two years where it's like, man, he's wreaking havoc. He's getting back there, but just the sack numbers just aren't quite there. The sack numbers aren't a reflection of how good he's playing. And I think that's the same with uh, Nick Bosa. I, I think a lot of people see it. They're rolling right now, man. And, and one thing I noticed from watching the game, one thing I said was like, man, if Big Ben Roethlisberger's playing – and the 49ers turn the ball over five times like that, 49ers lose that game. But then, after watching the All-22, I really don't think it would have mattered who was back there at quarterback because the quarterback was under so much duress and the coverage was so tight. So no matter if you have Ben Roethlisberger out there or Mason Rudolph, I don't think it would have mattered. Um, the, the 49ers were just that dominant. It wasn't like Rudolph was just missing a ton of throws or missing open guys. I mean, they were, they were the, the coverage was so tight. I think Mason Rudolph even helped himself because he scrambled out of situations where um, and got a yard or two where he should have been sacked. So, yeah, man, I, I, 
that that defense, man, I'm I'm extremely impressed with how how well they've been playing, and uh, you know they have a really big test coming up with Cleveland Browns and Odell Beckham and Landry and those guys. It's going to kind of suck to not have a killer with this one. Right. No, it's it's going to be a huge test, especially now that you mentioned that, because it was going to be a huge test with Witherspoon. And, and now they're going to have to do their best to, to figure out a way to kind of knock. Um, why am I spacing on his name? What's the Cleveland quarterback's name that everybody always talks about? Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Jeez. Come on, Rob. Call, but, for uh, some reason, I always want to call him Saquon Barkley. I don't know why. <laughs> 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 Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley. Don't feel bad. Like that's always the first name that comes in my head. I don't know why. Um, you know, just to to continue talking about the defense a little bit, and, and obviously stats never tell the entire story. But when you have a stat line like DeForest Buckner's, who had ten, uh, and this is the official, this is the official like uh, you know NFL stats stat line. I know I have Pro Football Focus's numbers on my Twitter, not too far down here. I'm like scrolling while I'm talking right now, but. DeForest Buckner on the official NFL stats site had 10 combined tackles. This is a defensive lineman. Had 10 combined tackles. He had a sack for nine yards. He had two quarterback hits. He had his own forced fumble. And then he had a fumble recovery. And then you you scroll down a little bit, and you got guys like uh, Quan Alexander, seven total tackles and a tackle for loss. D Ford um, only had one tackle, and that was a sack for five yards. He also had a quarterback hit and a tackle for loss. Uh, the the defense was just all over the place. It was crazy. Now, what's funny is the past couple games, and it did this the same thing against the Bengals. Nick Bosa has been like absent on the stat sheet, like. In this game, he's a little bit more present in this game. He only had one tackle, uh, a quarterback hit, and a tackle for loss. But if you go to somebody like Pro Football Focus that kind of tracks each play and what he actually contributed, that's not on a box score. Um, Pro Football Focus, and this is all subjective. It's not like the Bible. But they said that Nick Bosa has gotten into the backfield 17 times through three games. He's totaled two sacks and – NFL only has him for one, but I think Pro Football Focus gave him one from week one against the Buccaneers that a lot of people thought he shared with Armstead, but the NFL gave it to Armstead. So uh, Pro Football Focus has him with two sacks, four quarterback hits, and 11 hurries. And that is – that's insane. I guarantee you in a lot of those categories, that probably leads the team, and it's probably fairly high on on edge rusher rankings. And – a lot of the, you know, the people will say, oh, well, he needs to finish. These should be sacks. Dude, the, the guy's a rookie, and he's going to learn the intricacies of pursuing an NFL quarterback, which not a lot of people realize this, but there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that are just hard to sack <laughs> because they know how to maneuver around the pocket. They know how to maneuver in very tight spaces. You know, if there's one thing Jameis Winston can do is he can he can scramble like that, and he can move around, and he can weasel his way, and that's kind of what gives gets him in trouble a lot of times. But at the same time, you know, he's a guy that moves well. That's like, you know, try to sack Russell Wilson. It happens quite a bit, but that guy knows how to get himself out of trouble. And that's just what a lot of NFL quarterbacks can do. And that's just something Nick Bosa is going to have to learn over time. But the, the fact that he's routinely beating um, offensive tackles, and I don't know the name of the Steelers' offensive tackle, but I know he's very uh, highly regarded. Right. Right. And I know I saw more than a few highlights of Bosa just absolutely embarrassing him. And what's what's interesting about that is 
when he showed up to the 49ers training camp, Bosa was embarrassed Staley a couple times. And everybody was just probably like, oh, you know, Joe's just coming back. And, you know, he probably didn't know what to expect or whatever. And, you know, Joe started getting his own – winning his own reps against Bosa and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it's different when – Joe Staley gets to go up against Nick Bosa every single day of training camp and every single day of practice. So they get to know each other really well. Well, opposing offensive linemen get one chance to go up against this guy throughout the game. And, you know, whatever whatever you're going to learn, you have to learn fast. And it's just been so impressive how many different ways I've seen Nick Bosa beat established offensive linemen already. Some of them he's like making the guy miss completely, you know, like where he's barely touching him. So it's it's been – in a way, Bosa has been better than I even thought he was going to be, even though I already had a high opinion of him, if right. that makes sense. No, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, he, he's been really good. I, I was one that said that, you know what, I don't think his, his upside is quite as high, but I think he'll just come in and be a really good player. But um, just how good he's been has even been, you know, even surprising to me, somebody that thought he was really good. I was on board with taking – Quentin Williams over him and like you know I think that would have been a mistake with just seeing the type of impact Bosa has on every single play he plays a lot he plays a lot of snaps right right yeah and I know that he plays a lot of snaps but the 49ers have still been able to rotate him in there pretty well he's not like Buckner's rookie season where he literally played 99.9 snaps and the poor guy was just driven into the ground but you know it's crazy that on that note it's crazy that Buckner really has had no injuries that's just wild to me but um you know another thing that stood out to me was this is on this is on I tweeted that it's on the surface but right now the 49 the 49ers have a top five offense and a top five defense uh the offense is averaging 421 yards per game and that's good for fourth the defense is allowing an average of 282 yards a game and that's second behind the Patriots and they've you know they they have a shut out to their name and they've only allowed 199 yards a game so you know and and the first reply I knew I was going to get was oh yards don't really matter how do the points kind of what do the points say well the 49ers are averaging 32 points per game and that ranks fifth in the NFL so there really isn't a dropping drop off from the offense they're a legit top five offense right now even with the mistakes that Garoppolo's made or the the offense has made as a whole and you know the defense and it's not even that big of a drop off for them they're allowing 18 points per game and that's good for ninth so when you score an average of 32 points a game but you allow 18 you get wins (laughs) like that's just how it works so you know it's been impressive to to just watch the team finally come together and and keep in mind disclaimer we're talking about a three-game sample size here it's it's relatively small none of the teams the 49ers have played have been good against other teams per se but at the same time that's what good football teams do they play bad football teams and they beat them you know so you know you can't necessarily fault them for the quality of, of of teams that they've you know i think richard sherman tweeted that he said we can only play the teams that are on the schedule you know like once we play somebody that you respect more we'll see how it goes but you know and another thing and i know you already texted me that you wanted to talk about this but uh croc was jimmy garofalo bro like the dude is playing really well. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's made a few mistakes here and there, but I and I've I tweeted about this too, is or I wrote about it is uh, Sunday. Despite what you're going to see on the bas- the the, bo- the, the, the box score, uh, Sunday might have been one of his best games in a 49ers uniform. Yeah, no, he he's been playing extremely well, man. Uh, you know, I, to me, he reminds me, and I, I've kind of compared it to. Uh, Tony Romo, 
where it's not, you know, and, and I would say just all around Tony Romo, right? When you think about Tony Romo, uh, you know, coming into the league, you know, it, it wasn't pretty. He had his ups and downs. And I think you see kind of Jimmy Robbins, who's only started, what, 13 games now? So along the same right. line, just really small sample size. But you, you see the you see the potential there. And just like Tony Romo, Romo was an undrafted guy, same college, right? They, they went to the same school. Um, you saw he was prone to make some really bad decisions. And sometimes that cost the Cowboys um, even a chance at uh, a playoff berth. I, I remember um, playing the Redskins uh, late in the year. I think it was like week 17 and Romo threw three interceptions, <laughs> you know, threw the game away. Um, you see some of that same kind of like wild card gunslinger with with Jimmy Garoppolo, but the same things that you kind of want hope that he improves on are some of the same reasons why he's able to make that game winning touchdown throw. You know where he's threatening in between two guys and not really thinking about um, you know where exactly he's you know who who's there, what could possibly happen. I mean, he was just I'm going to throw this there and it's going to be a touchdown. And you want him to keep that same mindset. You don't want him to change that. So. Um, you know, you're going to have ups and downs. There's some things that he can't control. Some balls bouncing off a guy's hands. One was a little bit behind the running back, but, you know, just I I, I think moving forward, man, he's just, he's just getting better each game. I think you'll continue to see him make some throws that are kind of iffy, but, you know, other throws that I make you say, damn, let's just be a little bit more consistent with that. Well, I mean, I know you were saying something to me through text that you you felt like he was getting a little bit of unfair criticism. Right. You know, and, and I can see that the guy it's just, I don't know. It's silly, dude. Like to me, he's just a good quarterback. And, and to your point that you made on Twitter is like, he just wins games. What is he now? Nine and two as right. a starter or nine and two with the 49ers. I, so I think that's what it is. I, I can't remember exactly what, what it is. It's but nine the and two with just, the 49ers, 11, uh, 11 out of 13 overall. Right. So, and I've always you know, kind of bought into the idea that wins don't necessarily define a quarterback. But at the same time, if you watch, you just have to watch Jimmy Garoppolo play. And yes, he makes some bad decisions from time to time, but he is just, you know, he just has that that mentality that like, you know, he's just a gunslinger. He's going to go for it. He doesn't care that he just threw an interception. He's still going to try and make those tight window throws. And like, and like you said, like that last throw to, uh, he had just fumbled the ball at the, you know, it was kind of an, an exchange fumble between him and, uh, and Richie James, but uh, you know, they just fumbled the ball and the 49ers, Eric Armstead makes that amazing play where he punches the ball out for James Conner. Forrest Buckner recovers it and the offense is right back in scoring position. And what do they do? They second down on the five yard line. He just they, they dial up a pass play, and Jimmy Garoppolo threads it into Dante Pettis. So, you know, it's it's just a matter of just like go out there and and, and play your game. You know what I mean? You just got to understand that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a little bit more reckless. He's definitely, you know, and and his arm strength is coming back. That release is crazy. I posted at one clip on Twitter today where he's basically I think it's Bud Dupree has uh, basically got a free release right at him. It might have been T.J. Watt. He's got a, I don't, I don't remember who it was, but it has a free release right in his face. And he basically kind of just stares it down. And right before he gets hit, sidearms this, the quickest, the pass is so quickly thrown that you can barely pick it up on video and just flings the ball to, to Matt Breida out in space. And he picked up like 15, 20 yards on the play. And it's just stuff like that. Like, okay, that's cool. That's fine. 
you're, you're, you can be my quarterback, you know, like just stuff like that, where you just have to appreciate the quality of, of plays being made. And there will always be ups and downs with every quarterback, even the, even the best ones, but it's just been impressive to watch what he's been able to do. And you still have to realize he's essentially still in one full season's worth of starts within Shanahan's offense. And, you know, you go back and look at guys like Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan wasn't good in Shanahan's offense till, till the second year. And then they broke records, you know, their offense broke records. So it's just, you know, I, I think I, there's there's always going to be ebbs and flows of Garoppolo's game and the style he plays, but I'm kind of just here for it. It's fun to watch. It's entertaining football. 49ers are scoring a lot of points. You know, like I'm I'm not sure sure you want less turnovers, but you know, who knows what uh, you know, who knows what you're going to get. But I, to me, that's just that's just good football sometimes. So I think we are, uh, you know, one more thing I wanted to touch on, and I, and I know you and I have cro- talked about him before, Hurd, is the 49ers are going to get Jalen Hurd back or expected to get Jalen Hurd back uh, after the after the bye week. The, you know, that's this weekend. The 49ers are currently in the middle of their week four bye. They're supposed to get Jalen Hurd back. And, and you know, if, if do you think that, they, that he's going to offer the offense something different that they don't already have? Yeah, I mean, I don't know to what extent. I, I don't think it's going to be something that – you know, he always oh, catching five passes for, you know, 80 yards, you know. But I think, you know, just kind of how they've used Jeff Wilson, right, where he's had a specific role and, you know, he doesn't touch the ball a ton of times a game, but when he does, he's scoring touchdowns. Um, I think it would be something like that for Jalen Hurd where, you know, maybe he doesn't touch the ball a bunch of times, but when he does, it's an impact play, whether it's for, you know, a key first down, or I don't even want to say a key first down, but just something to move the sticks, um, something to just get the ball in his hands and let him run with that, you know, power and force that he does in the open field. Uh, I, I think that's where, uh, you know, he'll he'll have his uh, value. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to watch because, uh, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to expect from him. He's a super interesting prospect. He's way more refined as a wide receiver than you expect given he just started learning the position a few years ago, you know, a former running back, but the guy's 6'4", 225. And his first game as a 49er, he made a big impact. He caught one uh, pass from Nick Mullins over the middle of the field. And he basically squared up with a Cowboys uh, safety and drove him back into the end zone, just plowed right over the guy essentially. And that was impressive to see. And if you kind of just, listen to his personality and talk to him in interviews and kind of, he seems exactly like the type of guy that takes a lot of pleasure in running somebody over. He was in like three fights within the first week of training camp, which was funny to watch. And, you know, he's just a big, big dude. He's a former running back. So he's got that mentality. He doesn't mind getting hit, you know, and then the very, uh, you know, not very next play, but a few, uh, I think it was just a, a few quarters later or the next quarter, uh, he caught like, he caught like a, an end zone fade ball from, from Mullins. It was a perfect pass. Might've been from Bethard actually. I can't remember. Um, it was a perfect pass. He went up and got it, you know, used his frame to kind of, to create some separation off to his right and just went up and got it and scored another touchdown. So, you know, both those things right there are elements the 49ers offense could use, especially in the red zone. They're not necessarily having a problem scoring right now, but you can always use more big dudes to score touchdowns. But I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, as, as always, we quickly, at least quickly for us, hopefully it felt quick for you guys too, but quickly race through 50 minutes of, of podcast when we're, when we're supposed to only go 45, but um as always, I want to uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. It's the only reason we could do it. We wouldn't be here doing it if you guys weren't listening to it. So I appreciate you guys listening. Um, we will be Crocker and I will be back 
uh, should be a week from today. But well, we may we may switch things up with uh, you know with the bye week. You know we may we may come at you with some extra content here. Um, again, appreciate you guys for listening. This is uh, Striking Gold, and we are signing off.